you read a lot of the Old Testament, it's important to understand this. It will change how you read the scripture. The land where they were going was assigned to them by the creator of the universe. And it was his will that the nation of Israel be in this land. Now, to those who don't believe in God, this sounds crazy. Like God wants them to be there. But for those who believe we were created by God for God, they accept this truth because we know God has a plan, an eternal plan. And God allotted to each of these tribes of Israel an area of land that they were to steward and that they were, go they were to take care of and rule over. And God wanted to be their kings. And what did kings do? They protected their people and they provided for their people. They protected their people and they provided for people. You think of your life. If God protected you and provided for you, how many would say that was all I really need? Is someone, you know, we make life a lot more difficult than it really should be. Yeah, life is tough. No, not really. Not if you make God king of your life, it isn't. If you trust that he can protect you and he will provide for you. And we see that in Jericho. We see God feed, fighting with his people to take a land from the city-state of Jericho, like, like kingdoms that worshipped, and this was a, a city that worshipped demons, participated in practices that involved destroying the lives of people. They would sacrifice babies. What we don't understand, and people who say, well, God told them to go and kill all of these civilizations, and they, they wonder what that's all about. These were civilizations where paganism was at its best, or, or do we say worst? where they were killing babies to appease gods, where they were involved with detestable acts. And they went, were called by God to conquer these cities and tribes because God was with them. The Levite was the only tribe that wasn't allotted land because he was called to serve God directly. Now, I want to take you today to the place, one of the oldest sites that you will see when you go to Israel. It's a place called Tel Dan. And Tel Dan is in the area of the city of Dan. It's called Tel Dan because Tel is civilizations built on top, civilization creating a hill which is called the Tel. It was a man-made hill created by civilizations being on, placed on top of each other. And first of all, you have to ask yourself, how did the tribe of Dan end up this far north when the allotment or inheritance God had given them was actually along the Mediterranean Sea just north of what we know as the Gaza Strip. Why? How did tribe of Dan end up all the way in the northern part? Well, it says in Joshua 1947, when the territory of the Danites was lost to them, they went up and attacked Leshem, took it, put the sword, and occupied it. They settled in Leshem and named it Dan after their ancestor. In Judges 18.1, we get a little bit more insight to why they, were, they didn't stay in their assigned place. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking a, a place of their own where they might settle because they had not yet come into inheritance among the tribes of Israel. The tribe of Dan moved from their inheritance because they were unable to conquer the enemy in the land. 
God said, this is your allotment. Did God not want them to have their allotment? He gave it to them as an inheritance. He said, this is your portion of the promised land. And yet, when Dan went to conquer the cities God had given them, they could not, they could not shake the cities off the land. They couldn't move them off the land. And here's a little faith fact I want to give you, because God gave them this inheritance, but they didn't trust God for the inheritance. I thought God gave me a promise. Yeah, but this is your part in that. You believe. You have to trust God for the promise. If God gave them the inheritance, God intended to be the one to give them the inheritance. How many know sometimes we get a promise and then we try to figure out how to make the promise happen? We try, to make, we try to figure out a way to get it to take place in my life. They, they were attacking the enemy in their own strength and ability, and God's promise or gift is given when we receive and don't take it. When we receive it, we just accept his word for his word. And when God gives us a promise, he intends to fulfill it. However, we tend to try to manufacture it ourselves. Like if God says, I'm going to do this in your life, then, then God is going to do it in my life. And I'm going to make decisions when God puts me in a position knowing that's a promise. And now I'm at this place. I know this decision, God, how does, what am I supposed to die, decide in this place in order for that to happen? We don't try to manufacture what God promises to do all by himself. God don't need your help. Turn to someone next to you and say, God don't need your help. All God wants is our obedience. All God wants is your obedience. You know, what happened was there was a vacuum of Dan's absence because God put Dan in that territory and there was fierce fighting. And Dan, rather than trust God, Dan says, we're going we're gonna to do this on our own. And you see this in their personality even when they go to the north. But uh, do you know our decisions pack lasting consequences? The decisions we make? When they abandoned their allotment, it created space for a Phoenician seafaring people to fill the vacuum. So they were supposed to be along the Mediterranean coastline. They moved to the north, and it's because no one was there that the Philistines came from the sea and took the five cities that Dan was supposed to control. Do you know there is no Goliath? if Dan does what God tells him to do. There is no Philistine wars. There's no Philistine history if God does it. And, and for those who are sitting here, listen, the Philistines are not the Palestinians. Just because they both have P's at the start of their name, do not make them the same people. The Palestinians are an Arab people. The Philistines were a Phoenician people. Totally different places. Dan, however, got what they wanted in the north because it was up in a lush area and they were able to conquer this, this uh, easy tribe that was abandoned because that was out in the middle of nowhere. But it came at a cost. It came at a cost when they did it because it left a thorn in the side of Israel that they would have for their entire existence when they were there. Read Judges 18. This is some of your homework, is to read Judges 18, and it'll give you a better account of the tribe of Dan. 
And it goes about why they conquered and why they moved and all of the details. But from Dan's very inception in this land called Dan, their care, they cared very little about what God thought. First, they chose their own priest. Right from the beginning, they chose their own priest that tell, told them what they wanted to hear and believe. Secondly, they chose for themselves graven images to worship direct in direct contradiction to what God commanded. And third, they really didn't even want accountability of any authority of any kind. So they moved so far north in Israel that they really had no connection with the rest of the nation of Israel. And this is interesting because the question at the end of this message that you get to is going to require some reading and research in the scripture when you study Dan. But let me tell you, the treasure at the end is very interesting. This tribe of Dan was kind of what we would call a loner tribe. So you look at the significance. What's the significance of the tribe of Dan? In fact, you're looking at right now, they call it Abraham's gate. That gate, uh, they date back to 1200 BC and believe that Abraham, when he was chasing Lot's stuff, would have had to have gone through that gate in order to get it. It's pretty amazing. But 400 years after the tribe of Dan moved to this location up in the north, something else took place up in Dan. In fact, when you go to Israel, it is one of the oldest locations you can go to in the, in the nation of Israel. And this morning, I'm going to take you to that place, and we're going to go on a little journey, and I'm going to tell you a story that is a true story that really happened when you leave today, you're going to probably know more about someone that you had never heard about before, but you will most certainly be able to answer, what is the sin of Jeroboam, am I, and am I operating in it? So let's go this morning to look at the civil war of Israel that wasn't much of a war at all because God stopped it before they could kill each other. Through the period of the divided kingdom, we will discover while the southern kingdom, Judah, would have some righteous kings, the northern kingdom of Israel never had one king that God considered to be righteous. They were all evil because they all continued in the sins of Jeroboam. So who is just Jeroboam? What did he do? In order to answer that question, I have to take you back all the way back to King David. He was and still is today in Israel and most Jewish minds, the greatest king that ever lived. In fact, he was described as being the king as a man after God's own heart. He was a flawed man and he made some huge mistakes, but he was not judged by God based on his behavior, rather for his heart for God. God promised David that there would always be a descendant on the throne of Israel that would come from him. And the greater promise was that the king of kings, Jesus, would come through his lineage. Now, he knows, and we know the promise was fulfilled through the birth of Christ. King Solomon came, Solomon came after David once David had passed on. And Solomon started off well, but he ended up, Falling to one of his weaknesses. First King 11.3 says, he had 700 wives of royal birth. And if that wasn't enough, 300 concubines. 
and his wives led him astray. I mean, that's bigger than some cities in Minnesota, a majority of the cities in Minnesota. He had more wives than whole populations. That, that's incredible. Solomon disappointed God because he had failed in leading the nation of Israel to worship the one God as David did. Solomon knows he's been a disappointment because the priests have come to him to confront him. But the difference between Solomon and his father David is David would have repented and Solomon did not. It says in verse 4, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, where his father was a man whose heart was after God. Solomon's heart was after women and their gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. So this is where the vision of the divided kingdom comes. God makes the decision that he's going to, to rip 10 tribes out of the hand of Solomon's offspring and give them to someone else. And this is where Jeroboam steps on the scene. See, Jeroboam was just an ordinary citizen living in the land at that time. He was part of Israel, and he was serving the king, and he'd done so well at what he was doing, he had been promoted to the, labor, the head guy of the labor forces of Solomon. When a priest, Ahijah, came to him, and he was wearing, the priest was wearing a new robe, and when he came to Jeroboam in the city, he took the robe off, and he ripped it into 12 pieces, and he gave 10 of them to Jeroboam, one of them representing the Levite that had no line, and he, and he kept one in his hand. And this is what he said. He said, Jeroboam, I, I'm going to tear. This is what the, God told the prophet to Jeroboam. I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you ten tribes. But for the sake of my servant David, because God always fulfills his promises, and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. Now, God made the promise to Jeroboam. Up to this point, Jeroboam's just an average citizen. He's just some guy serving the king. He's a nobody. Have you ever gotten a word that seemed so absurd you just blew it off? You know, somebody came up to you and said, like, God told me to tell you, and they give you the word, and you listen to it, and you're like, man, like, you're just trying to make me your friend or something. Like, you, you, I appreciate that. That's a good word. You're like, thank you for that word. And then you don't write it down. You don't even think about it because it's just that absurd. How many have gotten that before? Like, you know, as a pastor, I've gotten that from people, and I'm like, oh, yeah, right, sure. My wife reminded me of one that I had gotten years ago that has been fulfilled. It's crazy how God wants to fulfill absurd words in your life. You know what's amazing is you better put your amen to it or it'll never happen. You know what amen means? So be it. See, the problem is the reason absurd words often don't take place in our life is we don't amen them. We don't come into agreement with them. This man, Jeroboam, was like... <laughs> Do you know who my dad is? He's like a blacksmith, you know? He's like a nobody. Like, I'm, like Solomon came from David, and you're telling me I'm going to have not just, like, like I'm going to have 10, and Rehoboam, his son's going to have one? Like, look at Rehoboam. He's eating at the king's table. I'm, I'm eating with the slaves. He was nobody. However, this is what he says, and this is amazing. I, I just, every time I read it, I'm just 
shocked because we as Christians often think you got to, like, there's something you have to have to do incredible things for God, and I don't have it. It, just, just for your information, that incredible thing you need to have that you don't think you have is, is the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have it, you should get him. Because he's pretty amazing. But this is what he says. However, as for you, talking to Jeroboam, I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires. <laughs> Great. You'll be king over Israel. Okay. If you do, now listen to this. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands, okay, I get it. As David, my servant, did, I will be with you. Well, that sounds good. I'd like to have him with me. But then he says this. This is insane to me. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David. Like, he doesn't come from Jesse. He's not from the tribe of Judah. Jeroboam's not from that place. Like, how does he fit in this? And yet God goes to Jeroboam, a nobody. And he says, you know what? I do as I please. I am the God of gods. I'm the king of kings. And if you will obey me and follow me, I will make you a dynasty. Just like I was going to make David a dynasty and am making David a dynasty. That's it. Are you kidding me? And we'll give Israel to you. I will humble David's descendants because of this, but not forever. And, and, and he's, what he promises Jeroboam is absurd. He's just a guy in the cog. He's a cog in the operation of all of this. And God pulls out this cog and says, I'm going to turn you into a king. You know what amazing, amazing revelation? If he can do that for Jeroboam, when he rescues you from that life of sin and death, he can turn you into royalty. He could take you from a place and unleash incredible, incredible blessing and direction and power into your life that is so different than you ever thought you could be or walk in. And Jeroboam flees, Jeroboam, because when Solomon hears this, Solomon hears that the priest met with him, he's like, I'm dead. And Solomon tried to kill him. So he runs all the way. Jeroboam runs to Egypt to hide until Solomon dies. And once Solomon dies, uh, Rehoboam, his son, is going to be king. And in order to be king, you have to go up for the coronation. And, and rather than do it in Jerusalem, he knows there's some issues in the north. He goes to Shechem. And, and he, which is where the tabernacle had been uh, before. And so he goes up to Shechem, decoronated as king, and the people of Israel, the northern part of the kingdom of Israel, come down to meet with him, and he's coronated king, and he, he sits there in the first order of business. The people from the north, northern tribes, say, listen, Rehoboam, we will follow. Congratulations on being king. We will follow you, but your father put this intense level of labor on us that it just really made life miserable. If you will lighten our load, we will follow you. And Rehoboam says, I'll think about it. So give me a few days. And he goes back and he finds the advisors of Solomon. And he says to his advisors and Solomon, he says, what should I do? And they say, listen, lighten the load, give them relief. They've worked hard. They served your father. Give them relief, and they will serve you all of their life, and you will have a kingdom that is unified together. Rehoboam thought for a moment. He says, you know what? 
I don't know, they're getting old, they probably don't know what they're talking about, probably have a little bit of amnesia or, or uh, you know, a little bit of dementia maybe, and they don't really know. I'm going to go to the people who are really wise, my friends. Because, you know, the younger you are, the more wise you are. Did I just stir up something in the room? By the way, age does not determine wisdom, God does. Right? But he goes to his friends. You know why he went to his friends? Because he did not like what he heard from his, his father's advisors. Isn't it funny how we look for people that agree with us? And there are times where you need people to agree with you because the, you've heard from the Lord. And God brings people to agree. But so often, we try to get advice from people who have no idea what they're talking about. But they want to be your friend, so they tell you what you want to hear. To make you like think they're with you. And so Solomon goes, or Rehoboam goes to his friends and he asks them, What should I do? And this is what he tells them to say My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Now, you've just become king. That's probably not the first point of business you want to have with the people in your kingdom, right? Because what is a king supposed to do? Protect and provide. In Rehoboam's mind, they were there for him. He wasn't there for his people. See, here's the first lesson you learn. You have to ask yourself, who are you listening to? We all need people in our life that are not concerned with losing relationship with us if they tell us what we need to hear. Even though it may not be what you want to hear because they care about your future. Let me ask you, and I've said this for years, who are the three people in your life that you listen to? And you see the difference between David and Solomon. David had Nathan that he listened to. Solomon had no one he listened to. Solomon thought, I'm the wisest person in the world, but he was not wise enough to put in place people he listened to when he disagreed with them. If you think you don't need people that are still telling you you can't do that, you're a fool. You're that you're that arrogant to think you could do something foolish. When you have people in your life and they know about a decision you're going to make and they say, you know what, don't do it. And you say, because they told me not to do it, I'm not going to do it. It's wisdom. Who in your life could tell you don't do it and you wouldn't do it? If you don't have anyone, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And the reason you're in trouble is because there's time where you need people to say that isn't from God. But we don't want people because we, we, we like to be free spirits. Jeroboam then comes, steps in on the scene because these people, they just can't stand Rehoboam right now. And Jeroboam walks on the scene and he leads 10 of the tribes, just like the prophet said. They make him king, and he appoints these ten tribes. Now, as soon as the reign of Jeroboam begins, he begins to establish his kingdom and rule in Shechem. Everything the prophet and God had told him had happened. 
he, after fleeing Israel, he leaves Israel. The prophet said I was going to be king, and now he's in Egypt. You know, how did I end up here if I'm going to be king? Now Jeroboam is sitting in the throne of the northern kingdom. Everything the prophet said was right. But he should have turned to God in that moment to thank him for the opportunity and second, to seek his direction. But that's not what Jeroboam does because Jeroboam is an insecure king. Because now that God put him in this position, he starts to think the reason he's in the position is because he's just that good. That I'm good enough to lead this. God wasn't putting him there so that he could run the nation. God was putting Jeroboam there so that he could lead the nation by God's direction. He was afraid of losing his throne because he was insecure. Maybe the people wouldn't like me. Maybe he'll fail. Maybe he wouldn't be able to lead. He had that imposter syndrome that you get sometimes in jobs. When you get into a position, you're like, wow, I, I, don't, I hope people don't find out that I'm not ready for this role. <laughs> he was already defeated in his mind before he ever got started. Look at, look at 1 Kings 12, uh, 26. He says, Jeroboam thought, to himself. Stop right there. Jeroboam thought to himself. See, that was the problem. Here, here's a little truth. Either you will take your thoughts captive or the thoughts will take you captive. The Bible says in Corinthians, take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to the truth. In Jeroboam's case, he didn't take his cap thoughts captive, but his thoughts took him captive and the lies begin to flow through Jeroboam. And rather than praise God for what he had done in his life, he began to doubt God in his life. It says the kingdom will now likely, immediately, God says, I'm going to make you a dynasty if you follow me, right? Look at how the thought took him captive. The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. Did you not hear what God just told you? If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will surely give allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will what? He says, I'm going to bless you. He's, but Jeroboam's thoughts said, they will kill me. I'll lose my throne and they'll return to Rehoboam. But that's not the word God gave him. Because he didn't testify of what God had done in his life by the word he had given them, his thoughts take Jeroboam captive. How many times has that happened to us? And when our thoughts take us captive, we lose our security and our identity. We start to forget who we are. I'm a child of God. Like, why am I afraid? You shouldn't be afraid. What are you worried about? You're a child of God, but your thoughts take you captive. And before you know it, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And then if that happens, and I'm going to lose it all. God gave you everything you have, right? And I'm a child of God. God isn't holding out on you, but Satan wants you to think he is. See, God chose him. God declared the promise that if Jeroboam followed him, he would possess the enduring kingdom. But Jeroboam, rather than trusting the God who gave him the word that got him there, he started to depend on his own strength. Jeroboam did not trust the word of God for his life. So here's the second lesson. You have to learn to trust the credibility of God's word and promises over your life. You have to trust him because when you trust his word, it creates security in your life and you can experience joy and peace. 
and fulfillment when you trust his word because God is not holding out on you. Jeroboam's solution, and this was his, his solution becomes his legacy of what is passed on from king to king when you hear the, and they continued in the sins of Jeroboam. This is what his solution was to this insecurity he had. Verse 28 of chapter 12, 1 Kings. He says, after seeking advice, the king made two golden casts. It's like he forgot history. And it didn't go very well the first time they made them. By the way, the United States has its own golden calf. We parked it right on Wall Street. And we call it a bull. And Americans worship at the altar of the bull on Wall Street. Lord, give me peace. What you're thinking in your mind is, give me enough money to pay all my bills so I have peace. Because money's the answer to my problems. If money can answer your problem, money is your mammon, your idol. It's your golden calf. He said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. It's, come on, guys. Jerusalem's a long way away. It's too much for you to go up there. It's too much work to go all the way. Up. Here are your gods. Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt? Here are your, the golden calves brought us up out of Egypt. Hmm. One, he said in Bethel, which is where, where Jacob was. He changed it from Luz to Bethel, it's where the angels were ascending and descending into heaven. He put a golden calf right at the portal where, where Jacob said, this is the house of God and stuck an idol right there. And he put the other in Dan. And right now in Dan, on the platform, in fact, this view you see in the picture behind the thing, you're, with that picture was taken from the altar that the golden calf was sitting on. R right in the back, there's steps up there. And literally, a half mile from that altar is, is Lebanon, where Hezbollah is bombing from. You can see the fortifications when you're there where Hezbollah is. And you're just like, Pastor, you want us to take a trip up there? Who's your protection? We're going to prove it. Jeroboam doesn't point the people to God. His motivation wasn't to draw attention to God or to make it easier for people to worship. His motivation was because he was wanting to keep the throne to himself. So he didn't want them to go to Israel. And he wanted them. And when you do that, when you want to keep something, you have to bring deception into the picture. So here, here's the sins of Jeroboam. Here, when you hear that statement and they continued in the sins of Jeroboam, here they are. Number one. Jeroboam forgot, ignored, or just failed to trust the word and promise that God had given him. If God speaks to you and you believe he exists, God always fulfills what he says. Always. The word that my wife remembered that I had forgotten was so absurd I'd forgotten it. But now it's being fulfilled, and she reminded me of it. And how many words have you been given that have been fulfilled that you had forgotten? And so now you're sitting here thinking, oh, I don't know if I believe that. That's why you need to write things down so he can recall your memory back to things. And you say, oh, you know what? God has been faithful. All my life, you've been faithful. 
I love that song. Because when I sing that song, it just reminds me, it's all my life you have been faithful to me. Never in my timing. And not always the way I thought it should go. But always the way your word has said and your promises have declared. Always. God is not a liar. God is not a liar. Secondly, Jeroboam assumed the reason he was king was so he could be king. I think these days we assume that God has dreams, like gives us things and, and tells us to do so that we can be lifted up. Oh, yeah, he's going to fill my dreams so people can look at me and go, wow, you're amazing. You're incredible. Like people, it's all about you. It's all about you, John. Right? Like, like we're thinking, God's going to fulfill your dreams, we tell teenagers. Oh, yes, because they're struggling with identity already. They're struggling. Am I going to be a failure? Am I? Why not just say God has a plan for your life to meet, meet the needs of other people around you? Because when God gives you a word, God's word to Jeroboam wasn't for Jeroboam. It was for the people of Israel. Joshua, Joseph had to learn this. He said, all you guys are going to bow to me. All my brothers are going to bow to me. But Joseph had to go through everything he went to to realize it wasn't about his brothers bowing to him. It was about people being saved. I think we become so self-focused and consumed that we're like, I need a word from God for me rather than I'm the answer for the prayers of people to be God's representative on earth to meet their needs. God needs a physical body he wants to use to meet the needs with, he wants to participate with. And Jeroboam, he thought it was all about him and he said, it's my throne. I will lose my throne if they go back to Rehoboam. It wasn't his throne. It was never his throne. God never said it would be his throne. He said, I'll make you a dynasty. If you're obedient to me, if you point people to me, I will do. But Jeroboam said he took it as his own. Here's the third thing. So the first sin, the first sin was he forgot that it was a word of promise that God was going to fulfill. Because he forgot that, he assumed that everything God did in position God put him in was for him. And third, Jeroboam plans to create a convenient relationship and worship with God. And this is the most important of all of them. He said, listen, I want to make it easy for you to worship God. Whatever's convenient. So I'm going to preach a convenient gospel. I'm going, to pre, pre, I'm going to preach convenience in serving God. Whenever you want to, don't worry about it. You're not going to go to hell if you don't come to church. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's true. You won't go to hell if you don't come to church. But that's not really the question. If you're at that point, it's gotten pretty bad. Because if the only reason you're going is because you have to, you might want to ask yourself, where's the want to? Like, for instance, and I've said this before, some people have a hard time for it with it because they think if I pray a prayer, I'm going to go to heaven. Listen, heaven is for, a, for people that actually want to spend time with God and God's people. 
Hell is for people who would rather not be around God's people and not be around God. So I'm like, yeah, just so boring going to church and singing songs. I just sit there and I just, convenient worship. You don't need to sing. We don't need to worship God. And literally, we've sat there and we said, it's just, let's make it easy. You don't have to go that far. We'll make it close. You don't need to make sacrifices. You don't need to tithe. You don't need to actually work. Don't worry about serving. Don't do I'm just going to show up and I'm there. Like, I'm going to drink my coffee and I'm going to let everybody else worship. And I'm going to dress down as far as I can dress down to feel. Next thing you know, we'll be wearing pajamas to church. I am not preaching in pajamas. I'm just telling you, that would be a nightmare. 1 Kings 12, 28 says, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. So he said, let me create a place that you can come to to worship the gods. And then I'm going to create a capital. So he created a place to worship God. Then he installed priests that were not hearing from God nor seeking God. 1 Kings 13, 33 and says, even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways. He created these altars, but once more appointed priests from, for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high place. This was a sin in the house of Jeroboam that he led. It led to the down, its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. He said, God didn't call them. I'm just going to put anybody in. Number two, he determined what their sacrifices would be. You know, those sacrifices that Moses took, don't worry about it. We're going to do it differently. And then he changed the festivals to celebrate the demonic. And they all participated in it. So worship that fits my lifestyle and beliefs. This is worship that fits my life. There's only one way to the Father. It's Jesus Christ. I don't care what the Pope said. I don't care if the Pope thinks we should get together with the, you know, the Jewish leaders and rabbis and the Muslim imams and, and it says, you know, it's all the same God so we can all come God. There is only one way to, to the Father and that's through Jesus Christ. It just is. I'm not ashamed of that. If you don't like that, hey, buddy, I hope you enjoy the place that I was talking about. Because the reality, Jesus came to rescue you from that place. There's only one way to God. It's Jesus Christ. Secondly, you should follow leaders that are not saying things to get you to follow them. There are all kinds of... I would be a fool to think that I am your only spiritual leader in your life. Especially in the day and age. That used to be the case years ago. But there are all kinds of voices that are speaking to you. All I ask is your pastor is that you know they hear from God and that the word is the point, that they don't give their opinion and then twist scriptures to prove their opinion. You need to know that the people who are speaking in your life are hearing from God. Number three, God has given us commands that salvation enables us to do, the sacrifices. See, we live now in a culture that has voices on the internet have undermined things like worship, sacrifice of worship. How about singing as a sacrifice of worship? How about serving as a sacrifice of worship? How about tithing as a sacrifice of worship? I had a guy in Cannon Falls, I said, he asked me to pray for his finances. And I said, are you tithing? And he said, no. And I said, I can't pray for your finances. He said, why? And I said, because you're disobedient. You're a thief. 
So if you start tithing, I'll pray God show you why tithing is a sacrifice of worship. First check after that conversation, he started tithing. Listen, listen. He came to me last Sunday night at Cannon Falls and he goes, Pastor, I got to tell you something. So we came back from our anniversary thing we went on. We came back and I opened the mail. We didn't have the money to pay any of our bills. And I tithed and I was nervous. And, and, I, and, and he goes, I opened an envelope and in it was more than enough money to pay our bills. He said, apparently something was overlooked years ago that they just discovered from insurance and they just wrote me a check to say, we got to pay you for this. I go, listen, I go, listen. Is it just because I wanted your money that I told you this? He goes, no, pastor. If you don't trust me, if you think that's the only reason I'm here, then you need to find a church where you trust your pastor. If you really think that's why I'm up here saying why we need to, this isn't about convenient worship. That's the sin of Jeroboam. That isn't going to be, this isn't going to be easy. There are sacrifices we have to make. You know what the other thing was, the last one? There were holidays that they needed to celebrate. He created festivals, demonic festivals. And this is going to, people, you're on a witch hunt, pastor. Yeah, I kind of am. I am on a witch hunt. What I'm telling you is there are holidays Christians don't celebrate because they glorify paganism. One of them is Halloween. You know, last year we talked about the haunted. And I brought up the fact, NBC did this interview with a, with a, a, a witch doctor, or a, a, a priest, a satanic priest. He says, it does our heart so well to see people decorating their homes with jack-o'-lanterns. And the person asked, well, why, do you, why, is, why is that such a big deal? And he says, it's, it's the equivalent of someone putting the cross on their house to identify they're with Christ. He compared the crucifixion of Christ, the cross, which is a symbol in the world of Jesus Christ, to the jack-o'-lantern being the symbol of Satanism. And yet Christians say, ah, ah, because it's a convenient, convenient faith. It's convenient. Will you stand? The sin of Jeroboam primarily was, and the king continued in the sins of Jeroboam. What was it? It was convenient worship. I'll show up to church when I get there. So what if I don't get there every week? So what if I don't go to a small group? I don't need to pray. I'm going to heaven. I don't read the Bible. I mean, I, I listen online sometimes. I get a podcast. I don't, you know, it's just, it's really what's best for me. Like, oh, you want me to do that Sunday morning? Ah, it's okay. God won't care that I didn't show up. Yeah, football's way more important than going to church. How many, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to make anyone feel, I'm trying to get you to see how blind, you know how the enemy puts stuff over eyes where we don't always see? And then when, he, when the scale is taken off our eyes, we look at it and we're like, what was I thinking that's so clear? It's like, wow, how did I replace... How did I replace this 
with that? Why is it when someone comes to Christ and they're so radically changed, nothing else matters in their life, and it's like all they can talk about is what Jesus has done in their life, but after you've been a believer, if you grew up in the church, it's like we, we don't even want to talk about the presence of God. It's just like a bother. Like it's pulling teeth just to get to worship God. Like you're not a good worship pastor if you can't get me to worship. How about it's not the worship pastor's fault? What if it's just something in my heart that's not open to the worship God? What are you? Oh, you're blowing my You mean it could be my heart? I mean it could be the sin of Jeroboam where we're looking for the convenience of worship and we're blaming every, everyone else. Will you close your eyes? Here's, here's, your, here's the scripture or the question I want to ask you. Why is the tribe of Dan not mentioned along with the other tribes of Israel as part of the inheritance in Revelation 7? This is going to require you to do a lot of reading and research, but when you find it, you're going to just, it's going to just, it's going to be incredible. Why is the tribe of Dan not mentioned? The tribe of Dan is not mentioned in the inheritance in Revelation, not even mentioned as the tribes of Israel. Why? Will you bow your head? Never, ever, ever should you feel condemnation. If you're feeling that right now, that is never my intention. Because my heart is to bring you to this point where you feel like, you know what, God, you're lifting me up. You're not pushing me down. See, if you've been in that convenient worship space, you haven't been enjoying your relationship with God. And it's going to feel like condemnation because it's like, you know, I don't even really enjoy this anyway. Well, let's just get to the brass tacks of it. There's something missing because God didn't create us to be like, he, he, he didn't create us to just uh, dread relationship with him. He created us to experience joy in relationship. Like it should just be like, I just love this. And if you can stop and come to the point of saying something's in the way because I'm not feeling that. I want to tell you right now, God's in this place. The Holy Spirit is in this place. Just waiting for you to just ask him to open your eyes and your ears so that you're eternally changed right now. Will you do that? Will you just say in your own voice right now in this place, just start saying, Lord, I need you to open my eyes because I'm not seeing it. And be honest, you're not enjoying it. Well, I don't want to tell God that. I might get struck with light. You're not going to get struck with lightning. You need to be honest with him. God, my relationship has been dry. And the Holy Spirit's going to begin to show you some things that are going to open your eyes to it. And you're going to be like, wow, I 